what our situation, no matter what we're facing, no matter how difficult our circumstances are, that you are our source that you provide. And I would just ask you in the name of Jesus today to break off a spirit of poverty, the lie of lack, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Thank you. One person is glad I'm here. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's right. That's right, man. Uh, We didn't get a mic check, so I'm trusting you guys to make sure we got all the feeds right and everything. If you are tuning in online, there is a song in our pre-service that for some reason is ticking off Sony and they keep blocking us, but we should be back on right now. So we'll have to find that song and move it around. Okay, Uh, man, you guys look great today. Good to see all of you. I mean, this nice, warm Wyoming weather. Oh, Oh, it's not. No, I don't. Sorry. Thank you, Miss Marcia. Hopefully it'll work for a minute. All right. Good deal. So, um, boy, today we're going to, we're going, man, we're going to stir it up a little bit. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story. I'm going to get a little transparent with you. Uh, I'm going to be probably uh, TMI on me, and so get ready for that. I know you're excited. I know I am. Um, <clears throat> so, um, but we are going to talk about resources today, and when we talk about resources, we're talking about money okay and I know you're like oh good I love I love when we talk about money I'm so excited I can't wait they'll probably take a huge offering at the end and like well no we we won't do that actually (laughs) so um so let me kind of bring this in what I want to call into question is a lie that's what this whole series is about it's about breaking off lies and really it's one lie the lie of not enough But last week we talked about not enough worth and how that the enemy is always trying to tell you that you're not worth anything. And he tries to get you to value you according to his estimation of you. And if you haven't heard that message, you really should. I actually sent it. I never send my messages to people, but I sent last week's to a couple of people because I wanted them to know that they're worth so much. Well, today we're talking about resources. And, And the question that I'm asking as I begin this message is this. What if... Christians, what if churches, what if followers of Jesus, what if they always just believed that there was enough? What if they believed there was actually an abundance in this life? Now, I know what you're thinking, and after I tell you my story, you'll realize that I'm not just here to uh, paint a fake sunshine for you, okay? But that is what I want to come back and talk about today. So a little bit about Michael's story. You should probably know a little bit about Michael and money, because it's a beautiful story of money leaving. (laughs) I grew up the son of a mom and dad who grew up children of sharecroppers. Now, if you don't know what a sharecropper is, it's exactly what it says it is. It's... You farmed the land that someone shared with you, and that was how you made your living, and you rented that land. You paid part of your crops prices to them. It was not a wealthy uh, career choice uh, at all. In fact, my, my grandfather finally got a job at Real Foot Packing Club, uh, Company as a janitor in his 60s, and it was a huge step up from his sharecropping days. My, my mom and dad both started chopping and hoeing cotton at the age of six, my mom at four. 
And uh, she tells the story of her, her dad handing her a broken-handled hoe, and she would work with the whole family. That was how families survived in the 50s and 60s, in, in the part of the country that I'm from. And so it wasn't just a, it wasn't a two-income family. It was a, everybody's trying to get an income into this family situation. And so I grew up with those kind of mindsets, Depression-era grandparents, uh, poverty in the farming communities of Lake County and Hickman County, uh, Hickman County, Kentucky, Lake County, Tennessee. Um, my grandfather, Andrew, the, the rule in our house, I learned Murphy's Law at probably six months. I couldn't even talk yet, you know. My mom's like, if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. And then my grandfather, Grandpa Andrew, which I just called Pa, he had a corollary to that. Murphy's Law, anything can go, long, go wrong, it will. Grandpa Andrew, Murphy was an optimist. <sighs> just, so when I was a, a kid, so I, I spent until I was seven, I lived in a, we lived on a farm. My, my dad had a good job after uh, a season after he got out of the Marine Corps, after the Vietnam War, he worked for Goodyear Tire Company, had a pretty good job. They had a nice house, we had a few acres, had some animals. So until I was seven, I grew up out in the country. And then uh, my pastor ruined my life. <sighs> I don't know what's up with pastors ruining people's lives. Uh, I'm probably going to do that today, actually. So, uh, yeehaw. Um, so anyway, my pastor uh, convinced uh, through his discipleship of my dad and some other men in our church, my dad decided to go off to Bible school in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, Use his money that uh, the bill, the GI Bill from the Vietnam years to pay for Bible school. And so we went from our nice house out in the country, and we started living in a townhouse in a, a subsidized income apartment complex. Uh, so country to urban, just like that, at uh, seven years of age. And, uh, or eight, well, probably eight. And then we moved from there. Uh, Dad spent three years there, got his degree in theology. And then he moved and became a youth minister at a church in Illinois, and that's when I found out how well the ministry paid. My dad worked a full-time job, did a full-time youth ministry, and we starved. We lived off. In fact, my mom had a stew called Surprise Stew. She said, if you find meat, yell surprise. <laughs> so, so, you know, um, it, was, it, was a, it was a challenging time, more so for my parents. Now I look back on it in, uh, in retrospect, knowing what I now know, and I realize the difficulties my parents were having just keeping our family together. So let's fast forward because I don't have time to tell you my, my whole story and you don't want to hear it anyway. I do have a nightmare, a recurring nightmare that one day Brother John Orr is going to bring out a dolly with like 70,000 pages on it and say, this is your life story is collected from your sermons. And so, so anyway, so my dad taught us uh, that to live by faith. That was, that was the term I grew up on, living by faith. That's what my dad did when he went to college. That's what he did when he took that terrible youth ministry job in Illinois. He was just following Jesus. And we ended up back in Tennessee, grew up there, and uh, dad served in a, a church as, a, as a, a deacon and so forth. But I, along the way, I surrendered to the ministry. It took me a long time because 
I saw how my parents got to do ministry, and I wasn't really interested. You know, the whole broke thing uh, didn't look like fun to me. So I ran for a while, and I did broke all by myself, and so it, it turned out the same. <laughs> so eventually, I surrendered the ministry, and my wife and I had a couple of huge steps of faith. I'm not going to go into detail, but... Uh, the first one was we left our, our pastorate in Missouri and loaded up our everything we owned and everything we could borrow and the neighbor stuff that they now, they don't even know where it is to this day. <laughs> <clears throat> My father-in-law had a, a flatbed, 18-wheeler uh, trailer, 45-footer, kind of short, but we loaded everything we owned onto that uh, with, as long with, with a pickup truck on the back. You've seen the Beverly Hillbillies? Well, this was kind of the 90s version of the <laughs> Beverly Hillbillies. And we moved to Colorado. We went because God said, go. Uh, I had a little bit of funding to the Colorado General Baptist, but I, did, I needed a job. And we, when we arrived in that little town of 450 people, literally someone drove up in my yard that day and gave me a job. So God's amazing. And so, um, so that was the first big step of faith. Uh, fast forward a little bit more, Wyoming, um, McDonald's, it was at Emmanuel and McDonald's, and then in 2014, um, after a year of wrestling with God because I didn't want to do it. You ever, you ever God ever ask you to do something you don't want to do? And I know you're sitting there going, yeah, but you know, me and God, we work out a couple weeks and we get going. No, no, I spent all of 2013 fighting with God. I'm like, no, no, not this time. No, no, no. <laughs> so in January of 2014, he won, and I left... My, my job, I would, I would say comfortable, it, it paid well, it wasn't comfortable, but, uh, but I did work for, with some great people, and I came on to Ordinary Faith as full-time as a pastor in 2014. Um, that was actually more scary than the trip to Colorado for some bizarre reason. Why am I telling you this? Why do you even need to know? Well, until I was seven, I lived in the country. I'm a country boy. Um... From the time I was seven until December of uh, 20, I've lived in, in town or in a city ever since. I had five prayer requests, well, at least five. I probably had several more. Uh, I wrote them down so I wouldn't forget them. I, I just wanted to live out of town. I, just, I, I, I love everyone in town. It's not that. I just don't like people next door. Uh, <laughs> We lived at 912 Lee Street for 17 years, and for 12 of those, we had two different neighbors with five dogs in our backyard that were right across our fence. And so I love dogs, but not that many, not that close. And so um, <clears throat> uh, I wanted out of town. I wanted a couple of acres uh, so we could have a few animals and, you know, free range our kids. Um, <clears throat> get out! Anyway, so... Uh, I wanted a wood stove or a fireplace because I, the one of, they're like two incredibly relaxing things in my life, and one is watching wood burn. I, I love to watch wood burn. And uh, not, not your house burn, just, just wood in a fireplace. I'm not, I'm not a pyro. Brother, if anyone knows Alan Smith, he's a pyro, but I am not, okay? Um, so he's probably listening right now going, hey, <laughs> anyway. Um, and I, I just wanted to look out a window. I wanted a view. I wanted to look out of the window and see something that wasn't my neighbor's fence. I didn't care what. Just something. Oh, and one more. I wanted it all paid off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So in August of 20, uh, oh man, I guess it was 2020, uh, when, you know, all the pandemic and everything was going on, we went home to check on our parents. Every time we go home, as soon as we get back, someone asks us, are you staying or are you going back home? And uh, let me tell you what, if you ever visit where I'm from, you, you'll race back to Wyoming. I'm just, you will. I'm just telling you, you walk into a quick stop and say, hey, honey, do you need anything? And you're out. You're just like, no, thank you. I, I don't. You're 19 and you're talking like someone. Anyway, so, uh, no, I'm just kidding. There's a bunch of great people back there. But it just, we just don't, don't fit anymore. And, and God, I just, I'm a minister and God made me to minister here. And I just don't think I can do it there. <clears throat> oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so as soon as we came back, Alan Patty called for a meeting. Now, if you don't know him, everybody that knows me knows this. As soon as someone calls me up and says, we need to talk. I am stressed. I mean, I am just stressed. I mean, guys, don't you love that when your wife says that to you? We need to talk. Okay, what is it? No, not now. Thursday. Let's talk Thursday. Let's, let's let you suffer a little bit, all right? So Alan and Patty called us up and, and said they wanted to talk. And uh, so they came over and they asked us the question we get all the time. Are you staying? And we're like, well, yes, yeah, we're staying. And what had happened was, is Alan and Patty were getting, Alan and Patty Smith were getting ready to retire. They wanted to travel and uh, see the U.S. They have kids uh, in Alaska and kids up in Idaho and just wanted to enjoy their retirement. And they were, had already put their house up for sale, actually. What I should also tell you is that they built their house for ministry. Ordinary faith would not exist without Seven Big Sky Drive which is uh, where the house that Alan Patty built. We've met in their garage at one time. One of my children was married in that garage. We did a graduation in that garage. I mean, it's just a, it's a beautiful property. And Alan and Patty had put it on the market and they had put it on the market for way cheaper than I, than I thought it was worth because I, I thought it was worth a lot more, but it was still out of Michael's reach because Michael doesn't believe there's enough. Michael struggles with believing there's enough. And so Alan and Patty called and they, they, they came over and they said, well, actually, we might have gone over there. And we talked across the table from them. And basically, they said, we want you to have our house. Now, I want you need to know this. My wife, Christy, she is a woman of faith. Patty Smith is a woman of faith. Uh, Alan Smith is a man of faith. Michael Maynard is a man of doubt. <laughs> All right? So we're sitting across the table, and Alan and Patty are like, you, you, we want you guys to have our house, and my wife is starting to get a little excited, and Alan and Patty are getting excited, and I'm going, <sighs> Because my first thought always is this. How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? So, uh, I didn't think I was going to get emotional telling this story. So, so I said, we, we want to pray about it. And I, I came home, and Christy was buzzing, and I was, I was excited, but I didn't see possibility. I didn't see possibility, and I started praying. And then, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when I pray, I start trying to work it out, too. So I got out the spreadsheet. I'm a spreadsheet junkie. I love spreadsheets. You ever need a spreadsheet? Well, don't call me. I'm too busy, but I love doing them, okay? 
And I started working out the stuff, the loan, the down payments, the escrows. You, you know, if you ever bought a house, it's, it's a process. And I'm sitting here looking at the money, and I'm like... And I, so I, I put together some because Alan and Patty were, were very committed to the process. They were so committed, they were willing to finance the house. And so I, we prayed about it for a week or so, and I put together some, some numbers on a piece of paper. And I went and taught, Chris and I went to talk to Alan and Patty, and this was what I was thinking. I was thinking, okay, this, is, this might be a way we could do this. This is how I had this figured out. You know, I sit down across the table from Alan and Patty Smith, and I laid out my my spreadsheet. <laughs> Look, teacher, can I have an A? And Alan pushed it back. He said, "We didn't ask if you could buy the house." We asked if you wanted the house. I thought that was a given. <clears throat> and uh, so we said yes. And at that moment, Alan and Patty, we got our cameras out and we filmed a video and told the church we were buying their house. And I'm sitting there going, I don't know how we're doing this. <laughs> Y'all have faith. I told them, you guys have the faith. I don't know what I got. I got the anxiety. Y'all believe, I'll fear, okay? <laughs> so, uh, so that was the beginning of our home. And there's a few more things I'll tell you about it later, but uh, to kind of trim the story down a little bit, Chris and I started working on our house to get it ready to sell. Uh, our realtor was Becky Constantino. We put it on the market. It was sold at the asking price in 11 days. Yep. Wow. <clears throat> I've never, I didn't know you could sell a house at the asking price in this part of the country. I know you can do it in California, but they're crazy over there. So, <laughs> Not that I know any Californians, but if I did. And... Uh, I called my mortgage officer, Ryan, and, and I said, here's what I need. And, and he had me alone in about 30 minutes. And, uh, and it was the easiest house buying I'd ever done in my entire life. We moved in on December 10th, 2020, and closed the loan on December 17th, my birthday. And uh, quite a birthday present, huh? And uh, that was how we ended up at Seven Big Sky. It's been hard because... My wife has a, a plaque uh, that she, she just finished that hangs over our dining room table. I don't know if you remember the song House of Miracles, the chorus of that song is on the plaque. That was, in fact, that was the song that came to us as we were going through this process. That, that house, the, the Smith house was, that we were moving to would just be a house of miracles. And, uh, but my wife has on the plaque, she goes, we, we don't deserve this. We didn't earn this. But we have been blessed and Amen. taken care of. Amen. So what I, I told you all of that, and I'll come back to a couple more things in the story, because I need, there's one thing I haven't told you yet about 
there, there was a decision point for me. But before I get to that, I need to warn you of something else. It's so, there's, you guys ever heard of the prosperity gospel? I'm not asking how you feel about it. I just, just you've heard of it. Give, give me a nod, okay? Uh, I, I, it, I've heard so much preaching against it and for it, you know, either side. But I came to an epiphany while I was working on this message. And the epiphany was this. I think there is more truth in the prosperity gospel than there is the self-reliance gospel that, that penetrates the church today. What, what do I mean by that? Well, I, I tell you what, there's just this attitude among uh, believers. They hear the name it, claim it. And by the way, if you ever hear any theological concept condensed down to one sentence... Uh, you're missing it, dude. Okay, I, I'm just saying. I grew up Baptist. Uh, we were believing eternal security, and I used to hate it when people said, "Well, you're once saved, always saved." I'm like, "Well, yeah, that was on my name tag." What? Really? <laughs> no, there's a lot more to it than than that. And 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 uh, and it's the same with the name and claimant concept. There's a whole lot more theology involved in pros- what we have come to call the prosperity gospel than there is. Am I preaching for it? No, I'm, I'm preaching some. I'm preaching an, a message of abundance. But we'll get there in a second. The problem I see, though, in the self-reliance gospel, which is a product of a theology that has invaded the church, which I call practical atheism. What is practical atheism? Well, I believe in a God. I just live like there's no God. That's what it means. I, be- I have all this theology, but I do what I want come Monday morning. I do life my way, not his way. I call that practical atheism. You may, ha- you may be a theist and believe in a God, but if you don't live like you believe in God, you're just an atheist with a, with a cool suit on or something, Okay. I could have made that funnier, but I decided I probably shouldn't because it's not really that funny, so I backed out of that. <laughs> but there's a belief that comes out of that that is this. It's really all on me. It's really my problem. I'm actually my own answer. Now, I'll teach all day on the power and the grace of personal responsibility. But there is a difference between being responsible for your life and being completely dependent upon yourself for everything. So, yeah, I believe if if you want to, I maybe one day I'll do an online series. I won't do this in church because it it would be a waste of time with this crowd. But uh, maybe I'll one day I'll do an online series that that puts a name on this self-reliance gospel. So people will see there's more going on than just poking fun at some teacher you don't like. So that being said, let's jump into where we're at today, this lie of lack. And so we're going to look at Judas a little bit, and I'm not asking for sympathy for the devil, but I am asking you to take into account Judas' situation. We like to beat up Judas. You know, we call him, even the disciples beat him up as they recorded their stories later. But what I want to present to you today is that Judas ended up in a trap. That he was trapped by his accuser. Like we talked about last week, when we get trapped, when we agree with the enemy and it gives him an influence in our lives, Judas got trapped with, by the enemy and it gave him an influence in, in his life. I think Judas started out, I, did Judas believe in Jesus? He probably believed in Jesus just as much as the other 11 disciples. 
He probably did. And so, but here's the thing about Judas and everybody else at the time. He had an expectation of Jesus. He had an expectation of Jesus, which is kind of, and, and, and that's something we do. We expect Jesus to do things a certain way. Well, let's not, let's not coddle it. He, we expect Jesus to do stuff our way. And I think that's what happened with Judas, is that he's walking with Jesus, and I think he was actually smarter than the other 11. I really do. I think Judas was the smart one. And I think he was watching how Jesus was behaving. I think he was hearing the things Jesus was saying, because he was telling the disciples he was going to be crucified in Jerusalem. And I think Judas put two and two together, and he finally realized, uh-oh, this guy is not going to be the Messiah I want him to be. Think about this. He probably saw the Messiah as a great military leader who was going to run into Jerusalem on a war horse with weapons and take over that, take over, uh, kick Rome out. And he probably saw Jesus as those things. But every day with Jesus, after three years, Jesus is not doing that. Jesus is not going to war with people. He's, he, and, and, and when he does, he does things like clean out the temple, which actually ticks off all the Jews not the Romans. And so Judas is watching this going, and I think he realized two things. One, I thought I was going to have influence because I'm close to the Messiah, but this guy's going to get himself killed. That's going to get me killed. No influence. And the second thing I thought, I think he was thinking was, I'll be wealthy because I'm close to the Messiah. And then Jesus, like doesn't even take up offerings at the multitudes. He says things to the disciples like, hey guys, you feed them. Judas is the church treasurer. And here's Jesus, you feed them. And he's looking in the back going, how? (laughs) Anyone in this room ever been a church treasurer? I know John has. Isn't that the best job in the world? All right. I have never been a church treasurer. I just have cried with them. All right. So I wanted to look a little bit into Judas' heart. So by the time we get to John 12, Judas is figuring things out. John 12, 4, John records this. Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray Jesus, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. We're going to do this story in a few weeks, so I'm not going to get into it uh, very much today. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And here's John's assessment of it, which is pretty harsh. He says not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. So I I just want you to see that Judas started out following, but Jesus was not meeting his expectations. Jesus was not dealing with Judas' circumstances as Judas liked And so a lot of times we get really angry at Judas for what he did, forgetting that God used what Judas did to accomplish something, that God wrung the good out of it. Judas made his own choice, but God wrung the good out of it. We also need to understand that Judas was a a human, and and we are also humans. And so we shouldn't be too tough on him. Just, Just a little sympathy for Judas, not the devil. I'll never ask for sympathy for him, but for Judas. So the Bible goes on and tells us in Matthew 26, Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus? I already get something for the last three and a half years of my life. That's probably what he's thinking. 
We're all going to get we're not we're we're all going to get killed out of this. So I want to get out, and I need a little something for me. I need a little something for me. That sounds that really sounds kind of I don't know human, doesn't it? I, I just I, I've been in this situation this long, and I already get something out of this for me. There's something here should be for me. I I just want you to see that maybe Judas wasn't so far from. So far away, they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. So I just want you to see that Judas was really just watching out for himself. In doing so, he doesn't know he's doing it, but he's agreeing with the devil. He never has a conversation with the devil. He just has this inner workings of his mind where he begins to put together the reality of who the Messiah is and that the Messiah is not going to do things the way Judas wants him to do things that are going to result in Judas being influential and wealthy. That's all. Nothing, nothing real fancy about that. So, um, I just don't want us to dismiss that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip, and as I, I was going to use a few other examples, but I've, God wants me to do something else at the end, so I want to I get to that. So in Matthew 27, 3... <clears throat> When Judas had betrayed him, he realized that Jesus had been condemned to die. He was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and elders. There you go. The cliff notes on Judas. Follow Jesus. Dissatisfied with Jesus. Uh, decides to get something for himself. Betrays Jesus. Gets to the end of it. The money's in hand. He's out. He's got a little bit for himself. And how did that turn out? He actually tried to go give it back. He, he realized that he was now part of a huge injustice. And, and so Judas made this agreement and, with the enemy, and this lie took him to a place he did not want to go. This, this I got to take care of me attitude did not get Judas where he wanted to go. And, and it won't get us there either. We can't... Think of things, in our, particularly in regard to our resources, um, we just cannot agree with the enemy on what is enough. Because for the enemy, it's never enough. Never enough worth. Never enough resources. Never enough faith. <clears throat> so, Judas believed a lie, and this is the lie I want to break off today. So I'm going to take you to Matthew 6. Back to the story of the house. I was really struggling with the situation. Uh, I, I am really good at seeing everything that can go wrong with anything. So if you ever have a situation and you want to know how it can go wrong, you can call me. I'll tell you. All right? I promise you. Remember, Murphy was an optimist. It's in my blood. So uh, I'm reading Matthew one day, Matthew 6. And here Jesus says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? No, but they can make your life seem like forever. (laughs) Seek the kingdom of God. Jump down to verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. You know, we probably should say that together, all right? Don't worry about tomorrow. I know you don't believe it yet, but God can reveal it to us. Don't worry about tomorrow, 
for tomorrow will bring its own worries. <laughs> Don't worry, there's enough trouble tomorrow, man. Today's trouble is enough for today. So I'm, uh, I'm reading Matthew 6, and I'm, I probably read Matthew 6, I don't know, thousands of times. Uh, it's a passage that I love hate. I, I love it because it gives me comfort. I, I hate it because sometimes it doesn't feel I want it to feel, you know. And so I'm, I'm reading this passage, and I'm praying about this house that I, I don't know how we're going to do it. And, and Jesus... I'm reading this passage, and the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It doesn't say faith comes by reading. And that's something we need to remember. Faith doesn't come by reading, it comes by hearing. And so as I'm reading this passage and Jesus tells us that he's going to meet the needs of today, I hear Jesus say, I hear the Spirit say, Michael, that's what he likes to call me since he named me that. There'll be enough for today. There'll be enough for today. Amen. I, I promise you I'm not trying to make myself larger or anything, but I, as soon as I heard that, that was when I called my mortgage officer. That was when I made the call. I told my wife, okay. See, that's what she was waiting on. <laughs> and then God moved. And, and don't worry, I worried the whole way through. Uh, don't you even, yeah, that, that's me, okay? Every step, all oh, this will great. The house won't sell for as much. They'll get out of the contract. Uh, the, it will fail the inspection. Uh, the the dismissal back. I mean, on and on and on. All these lies of the enemy the whole way through. And every time Jesus' words came to me, Michael, there'll be enough for today. Amen. Yeah. That was what changed my mind. And that's why we live in a house that answered four of my biggest prayer requests. By the way, he hasn't paid off the house yet. <laughs> right now he's doing that one month at a time, but still, you know, just, just that's, the, that's the one. <laughs> I, I, I don't know about tomorrow. I do worry about tomorrow. I experience fear about tomorrow. I don't like so much that I see in the world and in, and in people and, and the, the pain that families are enduring, the, the pain that people are suffering through addiction. I don't, I just don't know about tomorrow. But here's what I know about today. There's going to be enough for today. There will be enough for today. I don't know about tomorrow, but I do know this. Every, every night at 12.01, to, tomorrow becomes today. And today, there will be enough. There will be enough. Last week, we talked about how that we have to disagree with our accuser and we have to learn to agree with Jesus. 
And so we have to learn in our financial situation. I hope you gather from my story that I know all about being broke. If you're sitting there going, oh man, he's like Joel Osteen. He's got like all this money. Oh no. Oh no. I probably owe as much as he's worth, you know. I'm just kidding. I, I just want you to know that I know what it's like. This is why this is so hard or so challenging for me. It's difficult to live in this broken world where it's, there isn't enough. Where people don't have what they need. But you aren't from here. This isn't your home. This is a bad camping trip. That's all it is. Okay? Some of you have nicer tents than others. But you're on your way home. You're from somewhere else. And we cannot live with the same mindsets as the people who are from here. Because this is not our citizenship. Our citizenship is heaven. Our citizenship is a place of abundance. And there is no lack in the will of God, in the throne room of God, in the, the, the kingdom of God. And Jesus brought the kingdom, even told the Pharisees, the kingdom is right here with you. Because he's the kingdom, by the way. And so I want you to know we have to start thinking and believing the things that Jesus said. So Paul took those things that Jesus said, the things he taught in Matthew chapter 6 about these worries not being able to add to your life. And here's what Paul said. He said, true godliness and contentment is itself great wealth. Listen, if you get done before I do, I'm not going to be mad if you leave, but I'm going to finish this message. All right. Okay. Uh, So don't worry. All right. I'll even make everybody stand for a minute if you need to sneak out. Just raise your hand. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can take nothing. Um, excuse me, we, can take, we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So, if we have enough food and clothing, let's be content. For the love of, for the love of money, not money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So Paul's teaching us here that contentment is wealth. Who has more money? The guy who wants just a little bit more or the lady who has enough? Who's wealthy? You see? And so he he teaches us that contentment itself is wealth. And as soon as I realize that I have enough, and as soon as I begin to believe there will be enough for today, all of a sudden I'm a wealthy man. I have become a person who's moved from the lie of poverty into a living way of, of abundance. Okay? Because now I am content. This is what Paul teaches. He also teaches us... Uh, <clears throat> Another thing that I can't get to the slide on. He also teaches, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. So you must each decide in your own heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. That's how Paul saw it. So Paul didn't just see contentment as wealth. He saw a sharing as a place of power and of wealth. But how do we do that? If you're walking through your life 
and you never have enough. In your mind, it's never enough. I've got to save more. I've got to put away more. I have to have more. Because there's, there's savers and there's spenders, and, and neither one of them, you're not, just because you're a saver, that does not mean you're kingdom-minded. And just because you're a spender does not mean you're kingdom-minded. Okay, so you have to remember that. So we, we have to get to this place, or we can get to this place of financial freedom where we realize, I have enough for today, and I have enough to share today. I have enough to share today. I wish I had time to tell you about when Chris and I began our journey in giving. Let me just quick, just briefly throw this out there. When we started giving, our income was about 85% of our outgo. We were going in the hole by about 15% every month. And then one day, I saw this. Actually, I heard it through a guy who was teaching. And I realized something. I realized everything was God's. I realized that my whole income was God's. And so what we did was we started giving. We started sharing with what we had. And I don't know how it happened to this day. To this day, I don't know how it happened. It took a year. But over the next year, uh, we started giving. At that time, I think it was 10%. And I know that's a lot for some, and, and it's not a lot for others, but, you know, I wish the government could live on it. Uh, so, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's only absolutely hilarious because it's ridiculous. But anyway, so, so here we are. We're, our, bill, our income is about 85% of our outgo, and so it makes perfect sense that you take 10% of that and you start giving it. To your church, to others, and that's what we did. A year later, we were debt-free, uh, and we had extra money, and I don't know how to this day that happened. Oh, weird. <laughs> I've heard of him. Anyway, so um, so you probably, I'd like to tell you a little story that might help you with this. Because my goal today is to teach you that there's enough. But I'm not here judging you. I'm not here to say to you, you know, it's hard to make the ends meet. It's hard to do these things. I I have been there. I know how this goes. No stranger to poverty. That's how I grew up. And um, so enough is not ignoring those realities, okay? Zig Ziglar once said, money is not the most important thing in the world, but it ranks right up there with oxygen. Okay? This actually isn't even about money. It's not even about money. It's about something else, which we'll get to in just a second. I am going to go a little long. I'm sorry, everybody. But so, um, so there's this lady. She stops at a kiosk on her way to the gate at an airport. If you heard this story, just act dumb for a second. If you're like me, it won't be hard. And um, I have a point I want to make. This is why I want to use this story. So she, she buys a pack of cookies at one of those kiosks on her way to her gate. Um, you know, back, back in the day. <laughs> and she sits down, she sits down, she sets, her, she sets them in the top of her purse, and she sits down to get her stuff sorted away. She just bought this crinkly cellophane bag of cookies, and all of a sudden she hears that unmistakable pop of that bag. She turns around, and there's a guy sitting there, and he just opened a bag of cookies, and he was taking one out. 
Now, I can only imagine she was a churchgoer because of her next thing that she did. Instead of saying something about it, she gets uh, passive-aggressive about it. Church thing. And um, <clears throat> she looks at him, surprised, and reaches over and just grabs a cookie. And he looks at her, and he has the nerve to look surprised. And he grabs a cookie. Well, now it's on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> And she grabs a cookie, and he grabs a cookie, and on we go to the bottom of the package, last cookie, and he's holding it. And he takes that cookie, looks at her, breaks it in half, and gives her half. She is livid. Picks up her purse, her gate is called, grabs her purse, walks away and off. Who does he think he is? She gets all in the airplane, finds her seat, sits down, throws her purse down, and right in the top of her purse is her bag of cookies. <sighs> the whole story, you're thinking, that guy's a jerk, and then you find out who the jerk is at the end. Here's my question. How much courage does it take to half your last cookie and share it? You, you may not have a lot of money or resources or things available to you. But I promise you this, regardless of your financial situation, you have enough for today. And not only do you have enough for today, you have enough to share. Because of the power of Jesus in you, you can break your cookie. And you can share it. I already told you this wasn't about money, and here's why. A, a friend sent me a sermon yesterday, and I've got to share the, this last thing, and I'll, I'll be done. Jesus talked about money a lot more than I do, by the way. And uh, there was a... There's a time that the Pharisees tried to trap him. And they, they thought they had him this time because the Jewish people hated paying taxes, just like we do. But they saw it as an actual betrayal against their country. And so the Pharisees at one time asked Jesus, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, this is the only time I know of that Jesus asked for money and, and he gave it back. He, he asked someone, well, give me a coin. So they gave him a Daenerys. And Jesus held it up and he asked the crowd, whose image is on this coin? And their answer was, well, that's Caesar's image. Jesus' response was, well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. Now, all your politicians out there are going, yep, see, it's okay to pay taxes. That was not what Jesus was saying. It is okay to pay taxes, but that's not what Jesus was saying. Here's what Jesus was saying. You see this coin? It has the image of Caesar. This coin belongs to Caesar. Do you know who in this room is created in the image of God? Every soul in this place. Render unto Caesar the stuff at Caesar's. All Caesar can take from you is your money, maybe your life. But you're created in the image of God. Not only does he give you life, he sustains your life. And because of what he's done through his son, you have eternal life. You see, resources is never about money. It's about your heart. 
It's about who you worship. And that's why Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. You put your treasure into God's vision, into God's heart, whatever that is, whether that's through your church, whether that's through missions, whether that's through things you, battles you fight in our community. You put your investment there, that's where your heart's going to be. And, and, but if you put your investment in your 401k, savings account, gold coins, I don't, you pick the thing. I don't have any of that stuff. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> have some of that stuff. Then you, your heart's there, checking that balance, wondering if you're going to have enough. All the while agreeing with the devil that when Jesus said you'll have enough for today, that's probably not true. Do you see? This ain't a money thing. It's a heart thing. And if you believe that Jesus has given you enough for today, then you can share your enough. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Father God, you are so good. And I know why Jesus talked about money so much. Money is a great tool and it's a terrible God. And so I ask you today that you would take this room full of men and women and children who are made in the image of God. And I ask, Lord God, that we would surrender to you that we would give to God what is God's, what has the imprint of God upon it. Our lives, our hearts, our desires. Lord, that we would, we would lay up treasures in heaven and then our heart would be there. Often, Lord, we wonder why we can't connect with you while we worship everything in the world. So I ask you to awaken our hearts today and set us free from the fear of not having enough. I pray, Lord God, that you not allow the enemy to, to allow anyone to discard this message because they're going through a time where it doesn't seem like they have enough. I pray, Lord God, that they would see that Jesus is enough for today and Jesus can provide so much more than mere money. I pray you set us free in this area so that we can share. We can pour into the, the vision of the Father. We can stand up for others and meet their needs. We can half our cookie and help someone else journey be a tad easier. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing. We're going to have folks praying over here at these tables. If we can pray with you, we definitely want to do that. Pastor Steve.